that off just as surely as it sits there. I'll knock it off. I will. I'll put it back there. I'll have after at the break. Tight enough under there? Yeah. He's coming to my rescue. There we go. Thank you. No, you went the wrong way, Daniel. Right, that work? That's better, sort of. That's better. Well, I hadn't even seen them over there. <laughs> Where'd y'all come from? Billy, <laughs> <laughs> you doubled your crowd in an hour. <laughs> in five seconds. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd like for us to begin with a... Uh, this session with a prayer. I don't think you can do that too much, do you? And uh, Floyd, would you come up and lead us in a prayer, please, sir? Father, we thank you so much for letting us be able to come here this morning, helping us to learn more about what your word tells us to do as leaders. Father, we just thank you so much for your son Jesus that he was willing to die for us. We thank you for Brother Lambert being here and that he would share the information that he has gathered over these years. We know that sometimes that times of good and bad both help us to grow. Amen. And we know that Jesus, that you are the one that really knows how the things go that are both hard for you and hard for us. Father, we ask you to continue to be with us and bless us as we learn your word. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. So that my lesson will be meaningful, I don't plan to do all of this by myself, so Paul is going to read our scripture now. You'll be turning in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. And he's going to read just an excerpt from this particular chapter. And we're going to discuss it and try to illustrate the principles. Exodus 18. I'll begin reading at verse 19. This is Moses' father-in-law speaking to Moses. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, 
And you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times. And let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they will, themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure. And all these people also will go to their place in peace. Thank you, Paul. Have you ever asked your children to do something, maybe your grandchildren, and then they, they don't do it exactly the way that you ask them to do it, and so you say to them, never mind, I will just do it myself. I heard a preacher say, I had rather do it myself than to ask someone else to help me. You're not looking at him. <laughs> You're not looking at him at all. I want you to imagine that you own a business and it may be some of you do. Let's just imagine that you have 200 employees in, in, in that business. How can you, just one person, just, one, just, just you, keep up with everything? You can't. So you hire competent people to help you. You want them to help organize things, plan, supervise. That's just business, isn't it? I've known of college presidents, one in particular, who was a micromanager. Everything that happened at the college had to cross his desk. It had to have his stamp of approval upon it. And it did not work out well for the, for the institution, nor for him. Uh, I know another one that tried that same method because he grew up under that president. And although he had a good tenure, he did not know the students as well as he should have known. He sort of lost contact there. And the, the work could have been spread out among others, but he was more of a micromanager. Now, you think about the church. Let's just say that you have a congregation of 200 members. You have three elders. And, and in this church of 200 members, the elders are doing it all. They even turn on the sound system. They turn on the lights. They unlock the building. They do everything that's physical and what spiritual work is done, they try to do it as well. 
I'll describe that congregation with one word. What is the one word? Have you seen it? Stagnation. There's just got to be a better way than that. And I believe that God's way, not some of the time, but all of the time, is the best way. And so what we want to do in this session is to turn our attention to uh, an account that's found in the Old Testament that I think gives us a model for us to build on. And we, we read part of that in just a moment ago. Looking at, and we're not going to read all these verses, you can do that. And you know them anyway. Going back to the first verse of chapter 18, and we're introduced to Jethro. Incidentally, Jethro was, was a Gentile. He was a Midianite. And he was the father-in-law of Moses. And uh, he came to Moses while Moses was out in the wilderness. And Moses told Jethro his father-in-law, everything that the Lord had done for Israel. And that was a lot, wasn't it? And then Jethro, rather than uh, accusing Moses of being in some strange relationship with some strange God, praised God for the deliverance of the people. And Jethro said this, and I think this shows something about his priority. He said, I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. There's, a, there's some good modern day relevant applications of that. Because he still is greater than all the little gods. And we have a, lots of them. He, he was above them. He is above them. It's not past tense. He still is. Over in the 20th chapter here in Exodus, when they were received the Ten Commandments, they were told to worship that there's only one God and they were to worship that one God. And Jesus somewhat repeats that in Matthew 4 and 10 to, to worship the Lord your God, Him only, Him only, only one shall you serve. And, and, it, and it seems to me, and, and maybe I'm, I don't think I'm doing an injustice to this story, that Jethro put God where in up front. He put God up front in this story. Isn't that where he ought to be right now for us? Yes. Up front. It, I, I think that starts at home. I think it starts in our family. I, I teach a series called Wake Up the Mighty Men. And in that series, I'm talking about primarily men in the home. And I build on the premise that you'll never be a good leader in the church until you're first a good leader at home. And I believe that. But God is to take first place first of all in our family and, and then in our work in the church to love God with all of our heart Matthew 22 
That's exactly what the people of Macedonia did. They're very poor people, but they first gave whom to the Lord? Themselves to the Lord and unto us, Paul said, by the will of God. So priority, Jethro had that priority, God. And next, we look at the people. Now I've lost, I'm, I hit the wrong button here, guys. Hang on. There we go. The people. Uh, I have read estimates of how many people Moses was leading, and all they are is estimates. They're just estimates. I read uh, 2 million to 3 million. I've read 2 million to 5 million. Anyone have a higher figure? Uh, to put it plainly, he, he was leading a whole lot more than any one of us here are leading. He is leading a whole lot more than we all lead collectively. And now, now I want to be just as uh, I, I want to be just as uh, practical as possible. So I'm going to back it down to about two million, and just say that that it was around two million. I know there were six hundred men, beside the women and the children, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Moses would sit down all day long to judge the people. I, I've got a picture in my mind. I have a picture in my mind of Moses sitting and people in line to be, talk, to, to be able to talk to Moses. <laughs> I, I, it probably didn't happen this way. I said it's the picture in my mind. C can you imagine that? The long hours that he spent every day sitting and listening to people. As leaders in the Lord's church, you spend long hours. You spend a long day shepherding the flock. How many of you have had a cold supper when you got home? Oh, lots of us. Get home late. Um, likely you have spent some hours that the church has no clue what you've done. Have no idea that you're out late at night, maybe counseling a family or coming together to discuss something that's, that's very pressing on the church and the relevant for the church right now. And, and you do that because of your love for the, of course, the Lord, but your love for the who, who else? For the people. For the people. Now, here was a problem. Moses saw what Jethro was doing. And he asked him, why are you doing all this by yourself, Jethro? I'm uh, Moses. Here you sit all day long. And you have all these people to talk to. And he said, I'm going to tell you, this is in verse 17, this is not good. That's not a good thing to do. And he said, what's going to happen to you? You're going to burn out. You're going to wear yourself out. And the people are going to wear out. Now I want you to look at the last statement. The only problem with a one-man band 
is when the leader stops, the music stops. There's something wrong with a one-man band. One person can't do it all. Now, here was the plan, and this is in verses 19 through 22 that Paul read earlier. He was told, now, now Moses, you can't do this alone. You can't do it by yourself. So what Moses was to do was to select some men and to mentor people to help him who, who would get that, be able to get the job done. And, and these four things that were mentioned make a, make a good sermon just in and of itself on leadership. The kind of people. And they were to be able men. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about able men. I, a passage that, that, I, that I, comes to my mind is 2 Timothy 2 and 2 where Paul is told, uh, to, uh, told Timothy to select men who were able to teach. Able to teach. And there may be lots of ways to describe that, but I think these are people that are capable people, people who can get the work done, that can get the job done, can do it. They need to be able people. And uh, they need, secondly, to be men who fear God. I think one of the saddest things that, that you could ever hope to see is someone wearing a title as a leader in the Lord's church and, and he doesn't seem to have the fear of God in his heart. That's a sad thing to behold. I think that's relatively few. I think that's sort of a, an anomaly. Let's at least hope it is. That's just odd. And we're the, our job in life is to fear God, as Solomon said, and to keep God's commandments. So he needs to be a God-fearing person. And he needs to be a person who, who loves the truth, men of truth. I, I think there are a lot of ways you could go with that. You could say, well, he needs to love the truth of God's word. That's, that's exactly right. But I think that this has to be someone you can trust. Trustworthy. One of our men at home teaches uh, 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 real estate. He teaches people how to get their real estate license, become brokers and the like. And, and a, he does this in the classroom, and he also has probably about a thousand people on the internet that, that are, are in his class. So he came to me one day, and he said, uh, Billy, he said, uh, I, I want you to think of a question that I could ask the class that I've not thought about. Well, I said, well, James, why don't you ask the class to give you a definition of integrity? I thought, now, you're teaching real estate. That's very important that you, people, persons selling real estate, be people of integrity. He came back later, and I said, well, how did it go? He said, there's not a one in the class that could give a definition of integrity. And I, he said, and I had a preacher in the class. Uh, integrity. Honest. Truthful. 
upright. I mean, we could go on. Anybody else have a definition? Integrity. These need to be people that can be counted on. You, you, don't, you don't question their, in, their honesty, their integrity. Then men who hate covetousness are, I, I think this means that, and again, you could talk about a lot of things in, on that covetous uh, point, but I think these have to be men that are detached from the notion that I'm doing something to, to help me. You, you've got to be detached from that. You're not in it for personal desire, personal gain of any kind. And, and I think not only, not only applies to, to elders, I think that applies to preachers as well. And uh, because the average preacher could be doing something else. And the average elder could be doing something else with his time as well. So here's what the, here was the plan. Moses to set them as rulers of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Now maybe there's a lesson there. I believe there is. Not everyone has the same ability. Uh, maybe the person who was going to be a leader of ten did not have the ability to leave a thousand. And maybe the man who could have the ability to lead a thousand might not relate as well if he just had ten people to lead. So there's wisdom, I think, in that. So he set up a, a different groups. Now, they were going to handle all of the small issues that would come to them. These are the fellows that would put in the light bulbs and stripe the parking lot and fix the ladies' toilet. These are the fellows that were going to take care of the insurance. That they were going to make sure that the grass was cut. These are the fellows that were going to make sure that, uh, that everything was ready for the worship on Sunday morning. That, that we had men lined up to, 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 to wait on the table, to lead the prayers, lead the singing, etc., etc. Now those are not unimportant matters, but there are weightier matters sometimes that elders have to deal with. So these are going to take care of the smaller issues. And Moses was going to take care of the greater issues and matters. And this was going to take a tremendous load off of Moses. I don't know whether you ever read Ira North's book on church growth, and I don't recall the name of it. Maybe some of you can tell me to break. But I remember a statement that Ira made in that book that is as right as it can possibly be. Delegate or what? Stagnate. You either delegate or stagnate. If we're following what Moses was doing with all of the, I'm sitting in the seat and all the people are lined up out there and are waiting to be able to talk to me, that leads to stagnation. When we try the man-made method where the elders are trying to cover all of the bases, well then burnout and stagnation are on the horizon. I can promise you that. You say, how do you know? Because I've been there. I've tried that way. Now let me show you what the man-made method looks like. And don't laugh at my chart. I, I, I hand drew the chart and I got my secretary to do this, do this for me. Now this is man's model of leadership. In the center you see the elders, the shepherds, the overseers, the bishops, the presbyters, however you want to refer to them. 
And so on the out, outer circle, we have different areas of work, church work. For example, you have uh, there to the right, your education and your vacation Bible school, uh, which I think the B VBS is a part of your education, but mo we, we sometimes separate it out for, for a reason. So somebody says, well, when are we going to have our vacation Bible school and what are we going to do? I don't know. Let's go talk to the elders. Uh, that, there's, some, there, there's some problems that, that we're having with the pavement. There's some holes in the parking lot. Uh, well, I don't, what are we going to do about it? Let's go talk to one of the elders. Or let's get a meeting with the elders and, so we can talk about that. And some of the ladies say, I wonder if it's okay if we have a ladies' day. And there's some other things a lady would like to have a ladies retreat and what are we going to do about it? Well, let's go ask the elders. And on and on it goes all the way around the circle. Every time there's a question that comes up, if, if it's about the mission work, we're involved in mission work and, and part of that is our uh, uh, outreach is with the television and there's the building, the grounds, the finances of the church fellowship, meals, and our fellow, different areas of fellowship. We have rock and rollers. We have brothers keepers groups that meet uh, once a month in people's homes. And we, about three months, then we put them in a basket in different groups then after that. And somebody says, well, we just got to go to the elders of all of that. You know what that does to the elders? Can, can, you, can you think of one word that would describe how elders feel after they get through taking care of all of that? Worn out, <laughs> worn out, burned out, overwhelmed. Okay, good word. All right, now, here, here's the plan. Where the load is shared by many, the, 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 the work can function like a piece of well-oiled machinery. This last sentence I, I learned from Franklin Camp, a uh, Franklin, uh, 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 oh, Kenneth Franklin, his first name, Kenneth Franklin, years ago. He was especially good in working with the church in education. And, and, and he said, it's better to put 10 people to work in the church than to try to do the work of 10 people. And I believe that. I think that's leadership. Now, I want us to look at another model that I have drawn. And I call this the Jethro model. Again, we have the elders in the center circle. Uh, we're taught, and I'm not going to read all these verses. You know them. You knew, some of you knew them before I did. That the elders have the responsibility of leading the church and give an account on the day of judgment for what we've done as elders. Hebrews 13, 17. Working under the leadership of the elders is a man we call him the preacher. The preacher. And he's working under the eldership. And he somewhat, and you may not prefer this designation, but who for the most part is the face of the church? The preacher. And they have to work together like a team. There's got to be a team. That's relationship. 
I, I thought about just dealing with relationships in these books, but, but this is a part of that relationship. Now, if you'll notice, that's the inner circle, just like the first circle. But if you'll notice, there is a circle outside that circle, and I have it divided up with deacons or backslash a member uh, all the way around, and then we've got the different works. Say there's a ladies' ministry. And it may be in your congregation you do not have a deacon that you could put over that work that would answer to that be, be responsible for that work and the elders would hold you responsible for getting that work done. So you have a, a, a member that can do that. That's the reason I put, that, put it that way. So, and then you have that all the way around the circle. Building the grounds, we have a deacon that's over that at Somerdale. If the grass doesn't look good, the yard doesn't look good, don't fuss at me. Go see the deacon. Go talk to him about it. And this way, we have the work spread out. Everyone has something that they can do. And you don't have a one-man band. Because remember, the problem with a one-man band is when he stops, there's no music. And this way, if someone falls down on their job, suppose you fall down on, on special events. And we have a special event coming up in May the 18th and, uh, for the Somerdale Church, and we're reaching out to our community. And it's a community event, strictly a community event. We're calling it Town and Country Day. We're inviting people to come to our property not for a service, not for singing and preaching, that's later. But we're trying to get them on our property and we're inviting their children to come, we're going to have something for them to enjoy and make it an enjoyable day. And we're going to be praying that that's going to, to help us. But suppose we have a special event and it flops. Don't blame it on the elders. Who is the person that was in charge? What deacon was over there? What member was in charge of that? Suppose we, we get there and they didn't buy all the sodas that we needed. Don't, don't ask the elders why we don't have sodas. Because we've delegated that to somebody else. I, I believe this is the way, and I'm, I'm using our work at home. I, I guess I'm full of my, what's going on at Somerdale. But I believe this is the way God wants us to operate today. Now this is what happened after they did this. Verse 23 tells us that the people dwelt in peace. They dwelt in peace where the work was shared. And I believe that there's a way for us to be at peace today. I believe that this method of delegating responsibilities is not the only key, but one of the keys to having a peaceful, loving church. Now I want you to take your Bible and turn to Ephesians 4 and 16. And uh, I have it memorized out of the King James, but it, it's so confusing when you read it out of the King James. So I, I would prefer that uh, one of the men, uh, uh, I can't see this brother's name on his tag over in the corner here, but would you come and read it for us? What version are you using? Well, that'd be all right. If you can read it, that'd be all right. Ephesians 4 and verse 16. And get here in front of the mic where they can hear you. All right. 
4, verse 16? Yes, sir. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplied according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That's thank you. Right. Thank you. Whew, that's a long sentence. <laughs> From whom? Go back to verse 15, which is talking about speaking of the truth in love whom Christ is, from the, Christ is the head of the body of the church, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, joined together, compacted. I think about a human body and how the body is put together. The joints are connected one to another and, and, and those joints have to be in the the right, or the right place to function, make the body work together, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted or knit together by which every joint supplies to the effectual working of every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying, upbuilding of itself in what? Love. When we work together, when I use that, I said, now let's put that down where we can understand it. As members of the body, we all work together. Everybody has their function in the body. The eye may not be a hand, and the hand may not be a foot, and the foot may not be an ear, but all of us, there's a function for every part of the human body, and there is a function that every part of the spiritual body plays and it's all for the upbuilding or the edifying, the strengthening, the growth of the body as a whole in love. Verse 15 begins, but speaking the truth in love may grow up to him in all things who is the head, even Christ. And so a growing church and a loving church and a church that is at peace is a church where you have everybody working. Bees fascinate me. Uh, they, fascinate, they really fascinated me when one stung me on the lip. Uh, that really was a fascination. And, and someone took my picture and it looked like... Uh, Someone from outer space there for a while. But uh, they fascinate me. Uh, they have a one-man band, don't they? Or one-woman band. The queen. But they have workers. And they're all working together. All working together. We need to be like a beehive. Following our leadership and working together. Now, you can't sit on the sideline and expect action. You can't sit on the sideline and say, you know, they ought to be doing this or they should do this. I don't see why they don't do this. But you need to be in action. We had a couple to move at, to Somerdale recently and uh, I didn't know them. They were from up North Alabama somewhere and uh, 
he came to me and he said, uh, where are, they, where are the, the drawings for the electrical system in this building? Well, I didn't know he's an electrician. I said, well, Billy, his name is Billy. and It's a good name, isn't it? I like it. I said, I don't know, but I said, I know they're here somewhere. I said, they may be upstairs in a, in a closet. And for sure, that's where they were. I said, could I ask you, Billy, why, why you would like? He said, well, you know, the lights are not working in the baptistry, and I want to fix them. I asked the secretary to find those plans. I said, give him the plans to the whole plant. <laughs> Let him have all of them. <laughs> but you know, I appreciated that because he didn't say somebody ought to do it. He said, I want to fix it. And we need a lot more like that in the church. So some are like the little boy who had a lawnmower. He, he, and and he, he thought that, that he would get his dog to help him with his lawnmower. So he had a rope tied to his dog's collar and he tied that rope to the front of his lawnmower and he wanted the dog to help pull it. And all the dog wanted to do was sit on the sidewalk and bark. And a man saw that and walking down the sidewalk and he stopped and he looked at this curious sight with a dog tied to the front of a, of a lawnmower and, and the dog barking and, and he said, uh, dog, dog's barking at his son. Yes, sir, said, he's just barking to keep from working. I said, that's just like some brethren I know. <laughs> they just bark to keep from doing anything. I'm not a real fan of NFL football, but I've got some, I have some people that I follow their progress. Julio Jones, who is from Foley, where I live, and his mother lived next door to us, is, plays, is, you know, he plays for the Falcons in Atlanta. And so I kind of follow Julio. But I, I read that uh, somewhere that on any given Sunday afternoon, there's 10,000 potential champions sitting in the stadium. They're saying they ought to call, the coach ought to call this play. He should have caught that ball, this, this, this. But you know the problem? They can't get them to put their hot dog down and get on a pair, some pads and get in the game. It's easy to sit on the sideline and say what ought to be done, but we need to get into, we just need to put on the pads and get in the game. Delegation. Now we're going to close at this point. I don't know, well it's just about that time anyway, actually. Do you have any questions? Any comments that you would like to make at this point? We're going to do this possibly this afternoon a little bit more. But Jethro's plan is, is uh, I think, the best way to, for all of us to go. And if you've not been following that, I recommend that you make a study of it yourself and how it would help you in your local situation. Well, we're going to close at this point. And, uh, what, Roger, do you need to prepared for lunch? Sure. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your blessing. Lord God, we are so blessed to be your servants. Uh, we are not worthy, but we are so honored that you have 
tapped us on the shoulder, that you have brought so many people into our lives over the years to mentor and shape us. Uh, Father, we're thankful for your word that has molded us. And Lord, I pray that you be with uh, each one of us here, be with each one of the ministries we're involved with, each one of the churches that we are involved with, with the people who we are involved with, Lord, that we are trying to touch for you. We pray that you will bless those efforts uh, so that your name will be honored and your son will be lifted up into our communities so that the lost will know you. Father, thank you for Brother Billy. Thank you for his wisdom that is shared uh, in ways that is so concrete, so real. And uh, help us, Lord, to be blessed by them today. And we especially thank you for the Waterford Church. Thank you for hosting them hosting this event and preparing the lunch that we're about to share. Uh, thank you for the hands that were involved in getting it ready. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you.